uh, we have a lot of tasters here this morning. We have a lot of folk that have indeed experienced Jesus. And it wasn't just the music, although that was good. It wasn't just the arrangement, although that was good too. But by the response that I see here this morning that somebody has experienced Christ personally, firsthand, for themselves. And actually, I remember commercials pretty well. And so what y'all are telling me, Jesus is far greater than Campbell's because they said Campbell's is mm-mm good. And that Jesus is truly good. We are going to jump into God's word this morning. We are grateful that we get to celebrate and then we get to sit so we can hear his word and so we can continue to celebrate as we live according to it. This morning you'll find um, either in your bulletin or you can turn to the book of John, the Gospel of John chapter 4. We are looking at this week as we go in this series of the gospel-shaped church, gospel-shaped living. It is a truthful church in a confused world. And actually, I've kind of titled this, that is what we're looking at this morning, but I've titled this this morning, Jesus, the truth and revealer of truth in a confused world. Because if the church is going to be truthful, it must be looking straight focused into the truth. Jesus himself, who reveals truth as he reveals who he is. And we'll be looking at the Gospel of John chapter 4. It is a long section. I'm not going to read it out loud for us this morning. Um, it will be up here. Um, in your bulletins, it is, it is verses 20 to 30 only because we weren't trying to get the fine, small print and to cram 30 verses into the spot that we normally do on the bulletin. Um, but the text, I mean, but the context for this, of course, it is John uh, 4, chapter, I mean, chapter 4, verses 1 through 30 um, is what we'll be looking at this morning uh, with the reading focus, verses 20 through 30. I'm going to ask you to stand, though, as we pray and as we get into our, into our word. Father, we thank you that you alone um, are the truth. Father, you are truth. Thank you that because that you have revealed yourself to us, that we can live in truth and we can live truthfully. Father, because we know you. This morning, I pray that as we look into your word, Lord, that we would see what it says. We would hear what you are saying. And then, Father, we would respond obediently. And that, Lord, this would not be an exercise, Lord, in just tickling our ears or hearing something nice, funny, or exciting. But, Lord, it would be instruction that can change our lives if we would but listen. We commit our time to you, Lord, in Christ's name. Amen. amen. You may be seated. We're looking here, as you know, as Jesus now is beginning his earthly ministry in this gospel, John, who is also known as the evangelist, because we know that his whole point to this gospel is that we may believe in Christ, that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing that we will have eternal life, that, that, that we will be able to experience eternal life. And so we know that at the end that that was the purpose of it, and so he is at times called 
the evangelist because he is, he, is, he is showing us how Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures, that, 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 that Jesus is the fulfillment and he is the apex of the prophecies and that, and that everything that was spoken of before finds their fulfillment, finds their true meaning in him. And this morning, as we're looking at chapter 4, he has this encounter with someone unlikely. But that, can, but that encounter gives us this wonderful revelation of who he is. We know that in chapter 3, he had just finished dealing with Nicodemus, who came by night to him, partly because he didn't want to be seen with him. But he came by night because he had questions, and he was seeking, and then Jesus kind of... Um, <clears throat> revealed to him that um, of what he didn't know and what he should have known because he was one that supposedly knew and handled the scriptures. And then, of course, in a dispute with some of the disciples of John the baptizer, um, um, there was this conversation about competition. Folks were saying, hey, John, look, that guy that you baptized over on the other side, that he is now baptizing more than you. And folk tried to get a competition with Jesus. I mean, with John versus Jesus. And John knew better. He says, look, I'm a friend of the bridegroom. And as a matter of fact, in that culture, some have believed that it was thought of culturally that the bridegroom's friend would never, under any circumstances, marry the bride at all. And so he is saying, I, I, this is not my bride. I don't have any right to her. I don't have any right over her. It is the bridegroom who does. So your, so your concern about, about him doing more than me, about him being greater than I am, at least you're on the right track because he ends up saying he must increase and I must decrease. And what he was telling them is that your concerns are misplaced. He is to be the one in whom the focus rests. He is greater than I am. He said, I tell you, he said, I told you I was not the Christ. And so then Jesus moves on from there and we get our story here. And this morning, what I want us to be able to catch is this. Jesus alone satisfies life from here into eternity. Jesus alone satisfies life from here into eternity, making one, making a person a true and knowledgeable worshiper according to the will of God. Jesus alone satisfies life from here, I mean, into eternity, making one a true and knowledgeable worshiper according to the will of God. And we want to see that this morning. There are five things real quick. You hear five, you think, oh, my gosh, we're going to be here all day. No, we're not. There are five things that I want us to be able to look at that Jesus did as he reveals this truth to us to break and to dispel the confusion that is out there in our world. First thing is that Jesus sets out to continue his mission. Although there was this point of dispute there was this point that there could have been contention. Jesus, when he heard that there was going to be some contention, decides he's going to move on to continue what his mission was anyway. He was in, 
the Judean countryside. And now he said, let's go on to Galilee where a chunk, a segment of his ministry would be. And we see here that there is a little overlap. The other Gospels, the Synoptics doesn't really point it out, but there is an overlap between Jesus's and John's ministry here and that Jesus moves out. He knows who he is and he knows the, uh, the t- when the time is right to reveal himself as who. And so he heads out. And as we look at the verse, it says, verse 1, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, parentheses, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And John has given us a marker here that there is a tie right now to this particular time when, 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 when Joseph by Jacob became Israel, was now being given, was now being promised this particular land in which the well would be. But just as a note, as we get into this whole thing of living water, as he goes later into the text, this particular well, Jacob's well, Um, was both one that was dug deep so that it would hit the water table, but this water table was being fed by a stream that it would continually receive water. And so understand, Jesus understand, this well was not only historical, it was was life-sustaining. And Jesus knew exactly what he was doing when he decided he was going to go through Samaria, which was a traditional route. I know some would say, no, they, 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 they would never go through Samaria. They would take the long route. Well, uh, some may, but most that were going in the direction where he was would take the route through Samaria. They just wouldn't make a whole lot of stops there. They would not engage with the people there. Samaritans for them were those that they didn't deal with, those kind of half-Jewish people back from a time during their disobedience that the Israelites would have rather forgotten. And so to go through Samaria would be, you know, yeah, it was, it was the shortest way to go. But just like we do in some places, you gas up before and you don't stop until you're on the other side. Some of y'all know what I mean. There were some parts, I'm not going to talk about Indiana, there were some parts of Brooklyn that you went through, you did not stop in, unless you were a resident of that area. There were certain parts of your cities, wherever you are from, where you went through it, you didn't stop in it. But I love the intention of Jesus. Jesus sets out to continue his mission. He Went through Samaria, one, because it was the shortest way, but two, I also believe because he had intention of making a stop that was going to change the life of a whole group of people and reveal who he is with more clarity. Which is into our second point. Jesus sets out to continue his mission. The dispute didn't didn't um, derail him, but Jesus also stops to to fulfill part of his mission. He sets out, but then he stops. And it is in his stop that is out of the box. That's like someone stopping in your part of 
the neighborhood. I was talking with some guys just recently about some friends of ours who um, the wife is the one who introduced Lavette and I. They went to school together. She's from Muncie, um, but they live in Compton. And um, the only thing is that they don't look like you and I. And the husband is from Southern Cal, and he looks like the typical Southern Cal back then, at least surfer dude. And so you got blonde here, blue-eyed, and, and, and because of the call of the Lord, I had worked with them um, several years prior as we worked both in the inner city of New York, and then we worked together for, for two years in the inner city of Los Angeles and was doing some ministry there through crew with them. And so they decided God was calling them there. So they lived here for a while after they got married and Levent and I were in their wedding. And then they picked up and moved to Compton and bought a house right in the middle. And some friends bought the house next door. And they've been there now for probably over 25 years, I believe. They've been there now for over 25 years and have made a, a wonderful gospel impact in that area. But I remember early on when um, they had just moved there, her, um, as was her tradition, her norm, when they stopped at a gas station for gas, she usually walked in to get some gum or candy. That's what she just normally did. And so she gets out, and they are in Compton. They are, they are, they are in this hood, and, and, and she, is, she is blonde hair, blue eyes. She gets out, and she goes in like she normally does to get her gum and candy while her husband gets gas. And she comes back out, and there are some Compton police officers that had pulled up in the meantime. And as she comes out, he looks at her and looks at the area and says to her, excuse me, young lady, do you know where you are? You should not be here. And her being the, being the tough person that she is, I love it. Got that attitude and said, of course I know where I am. I live here. And then, of course, the officer said, well, I was just checking. I wanted to make sure you were protected. She said, you don't need to worry about me. I don't need protection. And, of course, they have seen the lives of many change. But here was the point that police officers thought this was an area that you should not stop in. What are you doing here? And that's exactly some of what would have been happening here when Jesus decides to stop. Stopping is one thing. But he stopped to fulfill part of his mission because there was someone that he had to engage and that someone that he was going to engage with the truth is one who others thought don't bother bringing the truth to. Don't waste your time. He stops in Samaria. And we know that it's planned because when the disciples back in and um, down in verse um, 32 when he goes back, he says to them, when he says, I've got food, and they said, did someone bring him food when we went to get food because they stopped to get food? And he said, no, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me, and he was doing it. So I know that this was an intentional plan. Stop. He stops to rest at Jacob's well, which has symbolic meaning, but he also stops at a place in which constant running water was, 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 was being given. And understand, this theme of water had already started at his baptism, and then it was now in John 3, this water that was being talked about, about ceremonial cleansing and being purified, and then now water in chapter 4 that he's talking about, which would now speak of refreshment and life-sustaining living and life. 
And so now John is telling us now Jesus is now encountering and dealing with these things from Jewish history and culture that should begin to or to continue to point them towards Christ. And he comes to the well. And he comes at a time, he said it was the sixth hour, so right about noon, which would be the hottest part of the day. And usually there would be no one there coming to get water. But Jesus knew. And there was a woman now who comes up to get water at the most crazy time. That's like, y'all, when, when you see someone out at noon or 1 o'clock in the middle of July running outside, you will say, what is wrong with them? Don't they know this is the hottest part of the day? You usually see people really early in the morning or you see people late in the evening because that's when it's on the cooler side before it gets hot and it's on the cooler side after it's been hot. But only the um, either the really strong or the really crazy. I was going to say the other S, but I'm not. Either the really strong or the really crazy are out at that time, at noon, 1, 2 o'clock when the sun is highest. And so she is there getting water, which says something about us. So remember, Jesus stops to fulfill his mission. But then what he does next is Jesus engages, point three, and exposes the confused and shamed as part of his mission. Jesus now shows why he stopped. Jesus engages and exposes the confused, and the shamed as part of his mission. And we see here, so verse 6, Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And John is giving you there, not only that, it was rabbis would not be found. It was commonly believed. Sometimes was the exception, but it was commonly believed that rabbis would not speak to women in public. Some of them even had traditionally that they wouldn't even speak. Speaking to a woman, now understand this was the culture back then. We're not saying it now, ladies, okay? We're not saying it now. But that, but that speaking to a woman was a waste of time. And so for him to do it publicly was huge. Now, I'm not saying it was right. I'm just saying what the practice was. And so for Jesus to start a conversation as a rabbi and they would have known by his dress as a rabbi for him to start a conversation was out of the norm and out of culture. It was against what was normally thought to do. People of status don't do that. But Jesus was on his mission to reveal himself as the truth and the revealer of truth. Who alone satisfies? And what he was telling us is that his reach is beyond what is culturally normal. He reaches beyond what is culturally approved. Jesus is not instructed by culture. Understand, Jesus instructs culture. Jesus is not formed by culture. Culture should be formed by Jesus. And his statement shocks her. Give me a drink. And she's like, what do you mean give me a drink? 
How is it that you, a Jew, are talking to me, a woman of Samaria? She set the cultural norm that he just broke. You should not be talking to me. I experienced that one day when I had been asking the Lord, when we had moved to Switzerland, and I had really wanted a group to be able to, to study with because, well, first, outside of church on Sunday, there wasn't very much English that I encountered, and my German wasn't such that I could have these great conversations with, with, with people. Even after being there for nine years, my German was probably about at a first-grade level. So I could have basic conversation with people, but I could not have meaningful conversation with people. And so this one day we were heading into town and, and, and the kids were being themselves. And, and as we said, the kids were being American kids because you could tell when American kids at the time, although my kids have learned since then, you can tell when the American kids were around because they were the loudest by far. <laughs> and so when we would get into public, we would have to, the common phrase was inside voice, guys, inside, because everyone would see us and then they would turn, and I'm sure inside their mind they were going, Americans. But we were going down, and we're outside, so I'm letting them be themselves, and they're running, and we pass by this woman, um, a Swiss woman, or I learned was married to a Swiss, and as I walked by, one of the norms is you don't speak to women that you don't know. In public in Switzerland, you you don't. They will give you the death stare. Like, why are you talking to me? Do I know you? And so I learned that quick. And so I'm walking, and I pass her by, and she turns and looks at me and says, "Hello." And I was I was like, "Oh, hi," and, <laughs> you know. And then she starts to talk, and I was like, in my mind, I'm thinking, "Why are you talking to me?" You're not supposed to be talking to me. But then in that conversation, she just stops and she says something. She says something that stops me in my tracks and we have a conversation. Remember, I had been praying to the Lord probably that week earlier. I, did, I, I really want to find a study. And, and as we walked by, it just shocked me, almost scared me. She turned and looked me in the eye and said, are you a believer? And I was like, is it written on my head somewhere? Did somebody put a sign on my chest that I'm not seeing? And I looked at her and I said, Yes, are you? You know, and then she said, I knew it. Now I was like, okay, now you're creeping me out. <laughs> and we began to talk and have this conversation. And um, she said, you really have to get to talk to my husband, who, by the way, he's going to kill me because women aren't supposed to talk to guys in public that they don't know. And I was like, I know you're talking to me. <laughs> but it went on that her husband was involved in Bible study fellowship down in Zurich, which was about 45 minutes away. And that turned into about a two to three year stint of small group study. I remember, I'm sitting here shocked. And God's like, didn't you ask me for a group? Was that just some sort of, you know, rhetorical question? You didn't expect an answer? But it was how. It was that woman talking to me, which was out of the norm. And I'm thinking that this woman right here was shocked. She was just like, why are you talking to me? And Jesus said, you don't understand. It is intentional. And so when, when, when she asked him the question, Jesus said, actually, if you knew who you were talking to, if you knew the gift of God and who I am, you'd be asking me for a drink. And she was like, oh, he said, you would be breaking cultural norm because you would be so excited to engage me for what I can offer. And then she says what all of us would have said, you don't even have anything to get the water with. What are you talking about? 
How are you going to give me something to drink? Totally went over her head. But what he was telling her was, look, my true purpose was to expose, one, your lack of knowledge was to expose your need and to, was that to expose your confusion about the truth. And he did by his one statement. And then she says, as she goes on, the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water or that water that continues to run, the water to life? And then she asked this question, which, hey, she should have been able to answer for herself. Are you greater than our father, Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And so she didn't understand that his question was, here you are relishing this gift of man and you are kind of relishing in its, in, its, in its status. You know, he drank from this. Jacob himself drank from this well. As did his sons and his livestock. And this well is still around to this day. This thing is historic. But here you are at noon by yourself ashamed and shamed at the well trying to get water. But you're trying to give me a historical status lesson. See, Jesus wanted to expose her need, wanted to expose her confusion, and he was going to give her the truth because he is the truth. And so now he starts out, and now he has her. He's going to engage. I love that. Jesus knows how to engage us. Yes, point B, Jesus is greater than Jacob because he is going to share with her how he is, and although you are mesmerized by the fact of this well that still exists today, back from the times of Jacob is here, I am going to give you something that is far greater and will change your life and change who you are and even change when and why you come to this well. Because as I said, all that history all that cultural significance isn't doing anything for changing her life. And for some of us today, we are relishing in things that may give us status, that may give us some sort of feel good about I am, I am, I am operating in something that has been around for a long time. Okay, we're celebrating 20 years, but what if it was 120 years? We say that this church has been around for 120 years. Hopefully none of us have been around that long with it. <laughs> but this church has been around for 120 years, and, and, and my great-great-grandparents were founders of it. And my response would be, and has it changed who you are and how you live? Has it done anything different in your life? Many times we hold on to things because they have status significance, but they leave us really static. There, 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 there is no change. But we holding on to it. And Jesus is about to break her free from her traditions that aren't helping her at all. And so then Jesus exposes the truth of our sin to get us to the truth of himself. We're still underneath. Jesus engages and exposes the confused. Jesus exposes the truth of our sin to get us to the truth of who he is. Jesus said to her, 
First, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Understand the imagery there. He is standing at a well that is constantly fed. As a matter of fact, it is said even to this day that it is constantly fed by the underwater um, table that is being fed from the mountains down. This was a stream that is not losing water. They knew that. Jesus knew that. So his imagery was, you are standing here at a well that you can come to 50 years from now and it's still going to give you water, all things being equal. But he says, the one who was standing here in front of you can give you that which goes into eternity. And I was just like, what a powerful picture that Jesus is creating for her. He says that it doesn't start welling up in eternity. Listen to what he says. It starts now and goes into eternity. That's the exciting part. You don't have to wait until the day you die to experience eternal life. Eternal life starts when you come to Christ. It just continues after you die. It doesn't stop. The life begins now. And so if you are outside of Christ, what he is saying is you could be experiencing this spring of satisfaction that wells up and grows. And when you die, it continues into eternal life. And so Jesus now exposes and she says to him, Give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Well, of course she doesn't want to come there to draw water. She's trying to hide. She doesn't want to be seen. And we get ready to find out why. Because in the exposing of her truth, Jesus said to her, verse 16, go call your husband and come here. And she probably goes, see, I'm wondering if she was saying in her mind, see, that's where you're wrong because I ain't got a husband. She says, I don't have a husband. So there. And she didn't say that. I just said that. I don't have a husband. And I love how Jesus, you can almost hear the gentleness that he is, he is about to expose. He is about to lay her bare. And he says, you have spoken truthfully. Remember, the truth is here talking. Jesus said, you have spoken truthfully. You have no husband. As it is, you have had here. Let's, let's actually read it. He says, the woman said, answered him, I have no husband. Verse 17, Jesus said to her, you were right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Can you imagine if that was you? you know, the stranger. And you're trying to think of, okay, who you been talking to, bro? Like, 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 who's been giving you the 411 of my life? Who's been giving you information? But he says to her, what you have spoken is true. Understand, in Jewish tradition, three was about all that sometimes could be stomached. And they surely didn't, anyone of any religious giving would never accept a common law marriage. And so for her, she knew why she was coming at noon. And now she knew he knew why she was coming at noon. 
And Jesus exposes her sin. He's not trying to rip her up. He's trying to help set the stage that she could hear, see the truth, stop the confusion, and live for him. And so he goes, she needed her shame to be dealt with in order to live in the truth. And for some of us today, in order for God to free us, you are have to going to come face to face with that which you are ashamed of. And you're going to have to give it to him. And what he is telling us from this picture here is that, hey, I already know. There's no new news. I already know. Bring it to me so you can be set free. When you acknowledge and when you deal with it, but I first will expose it because the truth exposes the lie, the cover up. The truth exposes the shame. God's word, the words of our Lord uncovers the truth and exposes us bare so that we can respond to the truth. And so now she realized and she says, wow, hmm. the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Some um, have actually said that, 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 that in, the, in the writings, it says that I perceive you are the prophet. In other words, what she was saying is I perceive that you are someone because understood they understood some of the Jewish history and the scriptures, but they only accepted what we call the Pentateuch, which are those first five books. That's all that they, they accept as, uh, as Samaritans. But then it's still a bit twisted as to what they bring in and believe. And so, and so now what they were what they were, um, what she was saying is, okay, there's something more to you, you think? He just read you your life. There was no internet back then. There was no Facebook or Instagram. There, there was nothing that would let someone know for the stranger walking in town that my life is exposed. And so she goes, wow, you are something greater. And then she takes this into another conversation. Jesus exposes the truth of our confusion about true worship. She goes, I got a question for you. Verse 20, our fathers worship on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. There's a part of this there where the last point, Jesus reveals, Jesus reveals the truth of God's desire and who he is. Jesus reveals the truth of God's desire and who he is in that we use religious distractions sometimes to get us away from experiencing the truth. What does that have to do with the fact that he just told you you've had five husbands and the one that you're living with right now is not? Oh, I perceive that you're a prophet. Let me ask you a religious question. See, most of us would have been like, no, 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 no. We're not getting off the topic. Let's go back there. But Jesus rolled with her. I, I, I love his flexibility. Jesus rolled with her because he knew where he was bringing the conversation. Jesus knows your religious distractions and that we'd rather talk theology than to talk about our lives in him. That I'd rather have a Bible study than to allow the word of God to change me. I'd rather have a conversation with you about parts of Scripture than letting it deal with my life and change me. We have religious distractions. And Jesus is not having it. He rolls with her. 
And then that religious distraction to hide the truth, Jesus is going to reveal the truth. And so he says, okay, we'll roll with this. You worship, no, he says, Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming. And John talks about that, or that time, that, that, that era, the age is coming. Because remember, he was, he was going to be crucified. He always talks about his hour. And when he talks about his hour, he is talking about that crucifixion and subsequent resurrection. He says the hour is coming and now is meaning that it is now dawning. It, uh, um, when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship. He said, okay, well, l- l- let me go there with you. There is coming a time where it's not going to matter location. It's not going to mean anything where you worship because it's going to not be a location issue. It's going to be a heart issue. But I first have to do something about it. And so when that hour comes, his death and resurrection, it will change. And he says to her, Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. In other words, your worship is out of ignorance. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. Now, he's not saying that all Jews would be saved, but the Jews is whom salvation came through. They had the scriptures. They had that which would have pointed to Jesus, even though many of them didn't see that it was pointing to Jesus. And so he says here, God is spirit. No, I'm saying, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Stop here. We worship in ignorance when we don't know the truth of Jesus. And I will tell you right now, take a listen to our songs on the radio. I'm sorry, y'all. Many of the songs my wife would know. I, I, I just, but when I said, I'm going to sit and listen. I'm going to sit and listen because I got to know. And many of our songs are so out of the truth of God's word. They, they do not speak the truth of who God is. And they have us hyped up on looking for God, our heavenly sugar daddy, that he will allow us to get what we want. And when we get what we want, I'm excited and God is blessing me and he is all that. And what we don't know is that we're leading people coming behind us into frustration because God is insane half of the things that our songs are proclaiming. And I'm listening to him and I'm like, that's not true. I'm listening to him, I'm like, that's not it. No. And I'm not saying that I know everything and I know what all your lyrics should say. No, but, 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 but. If you are in the scriptures, you, that's not right. No, you can't promise that. No, you can't stand on that. I know they said it in the song, and the beat is bumping and it's nice. I know that it's got you moving in your seat, and it wants you to stand up and scream. But listen to what you're listening to. When we don't know the truth of Jesus, we worship in ignorance. And he said, you worship what you don't know. And then as he finishes, he goes, listen. The father is spirit. He says, let me, let me shed some truth on you. God is not human and is invisible. Spirit. God is of that which is spirit. Now, remember, he just got finished talking to Nicodemus about the spirit blowing where you don't know. And he's saying, God is spirit, not human, not like you. 
not fitting into your cultural box, not fitting into your thoughts. God is spirit, and whoever's going to worship him will worship him in spirit and in truth. It's one thing. You're going to worship him truthfully and, 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 and spiritually. And he says, the woman says to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who was called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. She says, I know, I know. And we'll get a greater understanding later. He says to her, you're missing the point. And this is in John's gospel. This is the first time Jesus reveals himself as the Messiah is to this, is to this half Gentile Samaritan woman. I want you to see the value that he places on that and on the marginalized. Look at what he says and does. Oh, my gosh. For those of you who think that God is not with the marginalized, that, you know what, that, that, that just preach the gospel and forget about them, I'm like, you don't understand Christ. He went out of his way to meet this woman. He stopped when most people don't stop. As a matter of fact, his disciples were shocked when they came back. They came back with the food. They came back with some Popeyes. And they looked up and said, what is, what is he doing? Yo, it, it, uh, he must really be tired and hungry. And it says, Master, you, you, you really need to eat something. And in other words, stop talking so you can eat. Because this is way out of custom. And he says to her, I've got food. What do you mean you got food? Did someone, we done gone into town to these Samaritans who we don't normally buy food from, but we bought some food so that he can eat. And he comes back and someone them brought him some food. I'm like, man, y'all, look, the Samaritan woman has got more of a clue than y'all do at this point. But he says to her, woman. No, he, he says in verse 26, I who speak to you am he. I am the Messiah. That's what he says to her. And then she is just like, whoa. She is shocked. She's excited. She's everything. And we see at the end, he says, look, you are going to worship me when you know the truth. If you don't know the word of God, boy, your worship is suspect. Stop claiming stuff that you don't know that the Bible says you can claim. Stop celebrating stuff that the Bible doesn't say that you can celebrate. And, and, and you know what? When our worship is focused on us and what we can get, guess who you're worshiping? You. God, when the focus of our songs and our, and our, and our worship is about us and what we can get, God is not being worshiped. You and I are. And God says the truth is going to come when you know who I am, why I'm here, what's my mission, and then you will worship properly. And guess what she does at the end? The Samaritan woman proclaims him boldly. We're ending. He says, look, he says, at the, end, the Samaritan woman says, now, at the end, they come back, they're shocked, and, and, and she has got to go. It says, verse 20, so the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, verse 29, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? I want to stop there for a second and understand this. This woman was willing now to engage the very people she was trying to avoid. Do you see that? Why did she come to the well at noon? Because no one would be there. 
This woman ran back into town. Uh, she knew everyone was talking about her then. Oh, look, here comes five-time married, whoever her name was. Oh, here comes the one who the sixth man is not even her husband. I'm wondering what their response was. I mean, what their first, she started talking. Everybody looking at her like, wow. She says, look, 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 y'all got to come see a man who told everything about my life. And I'm wondering if they thought, boy, that must have been exciting. And this dude told everything about your life? If, if he knew about you, I'm wondering if anyone thought, boy, we are going to be okay. Because we like to throw people under the bus that are, not, that are worse off than us. But guess what it did? Her testimony got them out to come see Jesus. If you read the story later on, the Samaritans that came said, we initially came because of your word. They were talking about the Samaritan. Yes. But when they now believed on Jesus, they say, we now believe because of his word. Understand, your testimony is only getting people to listen or to hear or to experience Jesus. They're not trying to experience you. Stop making your testimony so grand that folks are mesmerized with you. If when you give your testimony, people are mesmerized with you, you're probably not talking about Jesus. The issue is let people be mesmerized with Jesus. Amen. That when you talk, they're like, where is he? Oh, 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 I got to get to know. He did that for you? Oh, if he changed you, I know he can change me. Where is he? See, the issue becomes she ran, left her jars, and ran and proclaimed, and the town came out. The people that were avoiding her were now listening to her because she proclaimed Jesus. She was confused, but now she experienced the truth. She was lost, but now she realized she has purpose. She was shamed, but boy, she realized now how loved she was. A truthful church in a confused world is when we stop allowing culture to dictate our lives. Yes, we live in culture. Yes, we experience it, but stop letting it control you. Let Christ control you, and so Christ will control the culture, and you will proclaim and and. and Guess what? People will want to come to see Jesus. They'll forget about you. Good. Because they want to come see Jesus. Oh, they'll bask in your testimony. Wow, look at God has changed us. But if I stay talking about your testimony, I've missed the point. And so this morning for us, are we living in the truth? Are we true worshipers? Are we worshiping based on truth? And I will say, if you are not a studier of God's word, you are treading on dangerous ground because you will just go by what you hear. And if you don't check out the hearers, boy, you are real dangerous ground. Worship what you know. Worship what the Lord says. Worship what he has stated. Get excited about Jesus, not because he's going to hook you up. I heard a song this morning as I was coming in, and that phrase, it had got me. He said, God is going to blow my mind. And my question was, he hasn't done that already? If, if you came to him, he should have blown your mind 
when you realize that you were a sinner and that he actually was concerned about you and that you are now saved talking to him. You are waiting to have your mind blown when it should have been blown already. I was like, what on earth? No, I said, no, bro, my mind is blown already. The fact that I'm standing here wanting to hear a song about Jesus, mind blown. Because I knew me before. Worship out of truth, not out of worship. He says God seeks and desires worshipers that are truthful and that are spiritual. And he says we can do that. We can do that this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much, Lord. Oh, God, that you have called us to be true and truthful worshipers. Oh, Father, thank you. Oh, God, that we are, we have been called, oh, Lord, to walk in you. Father, I thank you. Thank you that you stopped by all of us who know you when you could have kept going through our hood, through our mess, but you stopped. You didn't gas up on the beginning, pass through and eat on the other side. You stopped. And when you stopped, you engaged us in our mess. You exposed our sin and you revealed yourself as the truth. And we left proclaiming you boldly. Thank you for that, Lord. You are the truth, and you set us free. Father, I pray this morning that if there's any here that have not embraced you, Lord, as you are the truth, I pray that they would realize that like that woman, they will keep coming back for satisfaction and keep being dissatisfied with life and what it has dealt them and where they are until they realize that the whole point in life is that we were intended to drink from the well of living water, Jesus Christ. And that the water on earth was only to sustain us physically while we are here. And that we are not to get caught up in that which is temporal, thinking that it will last forever. Father, I pray that we would be people of truth. In the name of Jesus, amen.